Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club podcast. Today I'm here with Mindy Early and Hannah Shu. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. So a little unusual. We don't typically do two people, but I think this format is going to work really well. So I'm going to do some quick introductions and then we'll get things started here. So Hannah Shu is a lifelong learner, connector, and encourager. She's a third generation leader in several of her family's business ventures, including RDV Corporation, the NBA's Orlando Magic Franchise direct selling leader, Amway, Ottawa Avenue, Private Capital. She leverages this firsthand experience and expertise to provide coaching and consultation to other prominent families and the emerging generation as they embark on leadership and transition planning, overall corporation governance work, and much more. Mindy Early is the Chief Learning Officer for Family Office Exchange, who we'll refer to as Fox in the conversation. In her role, she fosters integrated learning programs for enterprise families and is responsible for developing the family learning community. She co-chairs the Fox Rising Gen program and serves as an outsourced chief learning officer to Fox members. So with that, you know, before we went live, we were talking about how there's this much discussed generational transition that we've been talking about amongst family offices for many years. I think it's actually happening. Fox has some great statistics on this. This is from last year. They anticipate 45 million U.S. households will transfer a total of $68 trillion in wealth over the next 25 years, and 62% of G1 family members are within four to six years of transition and do not have a family learning program. So I want to start with Mindy. I mean, obviously, you all have great data, great relationships. You've known about this impending transition. 
what are you hearing and feeling from your membership and, and what kind of resources are you providing to them given this coming shift? Well, we generally don't like to start with doomsday statistics, but that's kind of the reality, right? And since we've updated some of that information that a lot of those transformations are happening, right? That whether that's G1 to G2, G2 to G3, the transition is happening. It's not necessarily this definitive succession event, but there is inclusion, there's an evolution and and transition. So it's happening. Individuals still aren't prepared necessarily, and we can go into this later for sure, but Fox plays a big role in terms of we have rising gen leadership programs. That's primarily my role is to work with the rising gen community to serve as an outsourced chief learning officer to families to help them navigate the transitions from individuals to generations from, you know, four people around a boardroom table to 20 cousins spread across the country. It's complex, right? And I know we'll talk about this, about this later too, but you can have the most wonderful structures and policies and constitutions that look really good and feel really good. But if you aren't living it out, if you aren't developing your people, if you aren't addressing the realities that come with these transitions, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. So before I transition it over to Hannah, who has some wonderful things to share on this too, I'll kind of kick off our discussion with Fox has been studying the rising generation for years through all of our events, through all of our interactions with families and, and the data that we know to be true that's anecdotally supported through, you know, my work being in the room intimately with families is some of the top rising gen challenges are number one is role definition. And that's my favorite to talk about Hannah and I can, can go into de- detail on it too, but just defining your role, your future within the family, within the office, that's 32% of rising gen define that as number one. We're doing a a new version of the study this year right now, and the data is trending to be exactly the same. It's not surprising. After that, leadership and skill development. So the ability to learn what you need to learn, to have a seat at the table, to understand what your advisor is saying, to run the operating company, whatever that may be, that leadership and skill development is huge. And and Rising Gen understand the gap, right? After that, navigating family dynamics, also not surprising. You know, no family is perfect. And Having good communication skills, good conflict resolution skills, highly important. Very similarly, after that, it's communication between generations. And then the final is kind of uh, investment strategies, financial literacy, more of a technical education. So that's what we're seeing. That's what we know to be true, that rising gen reflect back to us and that we hear from families daily. But Hannah, I'd love to hear your reaction to that or or how you live that and what you... Yeah, certainly. I, I think... There is certainly a shift, especially talking to other peers in the space at this point in time. And I think for today, I'll just focus on my personal experience within my family, if that's helpful, Brian. And so for me, as a third generation member of my family, we were raised rather close together at kind of our, in our hometown. So cousins were always connected. We always knew from a young age, there was this thing. There was these requirements. We always showed up. There was... So from a super young age, like I just recall playing outside of boardrooms and understanding that like this situation is kind of unique and different. And yet still, you know, as a 31 year old, I'm like, how is this game going to actually play out? And where is, is my place within it all? So whether you know nothing, you know, upon your 18th birthday, or you've understood kind of that there's this thing and there's these expectations and this opportunity, you know, from a younger age, I think it's constantly this balance of questioning and being curious. And so, you know, for the past three years, I've been kind of leading as a representative of our third generation, 
our family's initiative to really begin this transition. And so, you know, since 1990, when our family office was formed, we really have invested heavily in lifelong learning and understanding that like our ethos is to continue building a flourishing family. And, and yet how you do that is so much easier to throw it on paper and then living it out is really where the complications begin. And so I would say we've been very intentional in investing in that. And I'm happy to share more specifics, certainly. But, you know, we just revised our entire like governance structure. And simultaneously, we started a program with just our third generation. And really what that was, was to reconnect. And it was to to create space, to ask the questions, to try and build trust. But like, it's not like you're going to have one expert come in one day and be like, we're going to build trust between you guys today for these five hours. That's not what it is. And, and a way to do it is time together. It's really spending a personal investment in space to be like, who actually am I outside of this, within this? What have I heard people say that they've seen me shining? How can I speak for myself rather than, you know, letting people or expecting people to tell me what to do? Because that that's certainly not going to work either. And so So it's been a big experiment for the past kind of three years since 2020. We're just kind of wrapping up and really, it's really exciting. We are launching a few director development programs for some of our operating companies, and we have some third generations already on board positions. And so it's been really powerful. And as the second generation, I can only imagine all the feelings of this one, letting go is hard Two, how can I even start to explain everything that I've been through for my life to try and express that, share that, instill this in you. Like there's just this constant balance of like, I'm getting old. This kind of sucks. And also I want to empower you, but you know, sometimes those can be difficult yeah, to to navigate. And so I'm going to stop there for a second. If this is helpful, we can keep going, but yeah, there's just a lot that kind of I've learned in the last few years as well. It it is a lot and kudos to your family for being so thoughtful and intentional about setting the table for this. I want to throw it back to Mindy. The challenge that I see, just like Hannah mentioned right off the top, I think she's exactly right. The next generation needs to know who they are first before they can step into a leadership position. Typically, most industry experts believe that that identification process happens in your 20s. So my question is, if you're a family where the next gen is in their 30s or 40s, they haven't done the hard work that Hannah's family has done, and time is a little bit shorter, what do you do? Good question. I've never been asked that before. I'll go kind of bookends to this. One, to some degree, it's never too late, right? I mean, unless the things are simply irreparable or a generation isn't willing to change, right? I consulted with a family back in September and I was working with their next generation group and and it was their first kind of rising gender retreat. And we were talking about populating committees with, you know, individuals from this generation. And at the end, we went through an exercise to kind of process, you know, what are, what is the message you want to share back to G2 about this day? What questions do you still have? And what are you going to work on together? Reflecting back to G2, they said, well, we need them to work on their stuff first. And they had some stuff, right? Families have stuff. So I'm then reflecting with the G2 and the family office executives and other consultants, and we're having this download meeting. And I said, well, G3 pretty clearly said, you need to work on your stuff. And they said, oh, We're not working on our stuff like, and they could, right? But there is, I do, unfortunately, sometimes with some families see this, it's simply too late, right? Like our hope is in the next generation. We're we're just a little beyond repair. And that can be like, they really need some family therapy and a lot of things, or just we're too set in our ways. We're not willing to change. It works well enough. Honestly, at the other end, I'm working on a lot of my consulting projects tend to be around family learning. And I have family learning 
engagement and family projects that are with young children who will be managing billions together or serving on boards together, whatever that may be. And the family understands the complexity and the difficulty. So they want kids at a very young age working together. We're doing decision-making activities. It's fascinating. So, you know, I think it just depends on what there is to work on and the role, right? I think there are certainly mentor relationships and roles that that don't have to be this, you know, from G2 to G2, from but from G2 to G3, where you can kind of, as Hannah was talking about, just filter down the information. And that can be a little bit easier if it's difficult to work within your own generation and you feel like you're not willing to spend the time on that. That personal piece, highly important that Hannah was talking about. I think also, you know, not every family has to be completely cohesive and harmonious. You decide what you want to do and be together. And if you are quarterly meetings and annual retreats and values exercises, and we're all in on every investment we make together, great. And if you decide that, that it's important to have the family office of the, as a shared resource, and that's where we are able to scale things and work together on the projects that we all align and agree on, then you define how you want to come together and what you want to work on so that it works for your structure. But honestly, if I could distill all of that down to one point, sometimes it just comes down to a lot of transparency and clarity. And that flows through for next generation as well. That that next generation that's confused about their role definition, it's because no one's having a clear conversation with them about what's possible, what's available, what they need to do to get up to speed, right? So I love governance structures. I love family philosophies or policies or guiding principles. But the more you have clarity about what you're going to do together and what your shared vision is, it makes it a, a little bit easier. So Hannah, every family is different, obviously. One of the things that we like to try to do on the show is maybe not give examples directly from what your family did, but are there things in terms of bringing in outside consultants, organizations like Fox, if you were to pick two or three big things that you think helped with this leadership transition, leadership development, what would you call out in particular? Yeah, I would say the first thing is the willingness and an openness from G2 to put in the work because even doing that is a commitment. And I think now they would say we're really seeing kind of the results of this labor, but it would have been so much easier to not collaborate, to just continue on doing what we're doing. Things are moving along like that extra investment, you know, beyond before advisors come in or the family office is, you know, really getting organized. That right there is a choice. And we all know how much harder it is to choose to work through shit with your family sometimes. And so I would say numero uno is that. And then I would say we have brought in and have grown with a few super, super key advisors since, you know, 1990. And so through that time, they're growing, we're growing, you're building trust. And it doesn't, you don't always get it right. But we've had, you know, I would say two specifically who have been along for every journey and every ride. And so we built a lot of it in-house. And so from there, kind of with their recommended structure, we have really, I mean, I think the Lifelong Learning Committee was a pretty big one as well, as well as just establishing our vision, our values, our family constitution, how we gather. So how much balance, you know, what are we gathering for fun? When is fun? When is business? When is fun in business? To be clear on that, because if you're not, then it can seep in and not everyone's invited or there. And then you just, you know, so to even think about designing events and meanings of moments of meeting, I think was an interesting thing. 
I would say we have a rather boutique offering as well in terms of kind of services. And so through even that, through shared opportunity to collaborate, to work together on what that feedback looks like, what needs are as the growing generation, like even there is a point of connectedness where we all kind of are experiencing the same types of things rather than building them all on our own. So that, that's just another way to keep. So a follow-up question that to yeah. Hannah, and then I want to hear Mindy's thoughts on a kind of broader community level, but we are entering into a world, an era where for the first time you may have three, four or five generations working together, right? People are living longer, next gens are getting involved earlier. And especially given this cultural difference between what a baby boomer may be thinking about how, what work looks like, what family looks like in this more diverse, lower generations, younger generations, how has your family tackled that dynamic? Yeah, I think that this is kind of the, it's good to think in branches and it's easy because it's all even in branches. And yet you think of, you look at the third generation and we span between, I think, 42 and 18. And so I had some thoughts on on your previous question, just because what the feelings could be for my eldest cousin and, and our youngest of their experiences and both the excitement or the cynicism based on how many years you've been around or been ready to lead and yet just not quite sure because you're lumped in this generation and that's going to change. And I think we've kind of you know, we always say we're designing, we always are thinking a seventh generation perspective. So what are we deciding today that would make that difference? And I think we understand it becomes not branched as much. It becomes a collective family. It becomes a tribe. And so I don't know if I'm answering your question specifically, but I think the way that we're thinking about it is that we can't keep bucketing it out like this. At one point, we're just all going to be this one thing. And so from this pool who is feeling called? Who wants to say, honestly, I want to go live my own life? And those types of things, I think it's going to be ultimately one family as opposed to either branch or generations. Mindy, any thoughts as follow-up to that? Many thoughts. Well, a couple of things back to your earlier question to Hannah about what's helped. I mean, it's it's not always so simple, but I really do love the simplicity of just powerful questions that families aren't necessarily asking or talking about. And sometimes I go back to like with a leadership generation asking them whether that's, you know, G2 or G3 or whatever, you know, what do you want for the next generation and what do they need? And our expectations matching reality, right? Because I think it feels good to be really aspirational and, and say things like, well, I want them to be independent and thriving and successful or, you know, contributing to the pot, whatever that may be. And what is the structure then by which that will happen? And how are you helping that transition? Because right now you, you know, we'll be honest, like there, you seem to be a little bit of a controlling patriarch and there is no opportunity for anyone else to learn anything. And I often like to ask some families where the, the question works, right? At what age were you at 25? You know, you were doing this and they're like, yeah, 27, I got thrust into this role in the operating company. I wasn't ready, learned by trial and error. It was amazing. I developed this like empowering sense of responsibility and I learned a lot, and, you know, continue my journey on. And how old are, you know, is the next gen? How old are your kids? And and what are they doing? What are they allowed to do? Right. That there becomes this like light bulb moment of, of course, like you're enjoying what you're doing and you're doing a good job, but how do you allow for that incremental inclusion? There's a, I was in a family meeting a couple of years ago in Colorado and I, I tell this story because it's one of my favorites, but Patriarch stands up and you can see like a light bulb above his head. And he said, I've got it. And they were a family of say, he said, John the Baptist. He must increase, I must decrease. And it was perfect. It was beautiful because if, if they are, if the rising gen of this next group of people, if you're not defined by generations or branch, 
the people at a certain age that are ready and eager and interested, if they're going to move into something, there needs to be space for them to move into as well as clarity and expectations, right? And I think also really important that back to Hannah's point too, her family is a wonderful example of that inclusion, but that it should feel it's done with you, not to you, right? That you have, you know, you have some say, you have an opportunity to speak up and, and that doesn't mean you're at the table and you have a vote, but it's first getting invited into the room at the very least, and then maybe having a voice over the years and then moving up to a vote, right? So I think just the inclusive process really matters. I'll stop there before I ramble on so we can continue. No, I think that's great. And I agree with Hannah saying, I think you need ownership within the family itself to push through these changes. Just hiring a consultant or advisor doesn't matter how great they are, unless there's yeah. kind of champions internally, it's going to be very hard to push this through because it is a very long process. Mindy, I've got a question for you as a follow-up. Do you think this conversation is different for families that still have an operating company versus are purely financial? I mean, there's a nuance. I don't think it's different. I think the conversations still have to happen, right? Those that have an operating company, sometimes it's easier to have this thing that you all kind of rally around and gravitate towards. And for some families, it's very much their identity and there's this like reverence and appreciation. But being a financial family, there are still things you have to talk about. There are still, there's education that's required, spots to fill. And many of our, you know, what we see in our membership financial families that become enterprise families because absence of operating company, they end up investing in things or starting new companies. So there are still many things to rally around. It's just certainly a little bit easier, I think, when you have that business to focus on, which provides for a lot of shared learning opportunities and and decision-making experiences as well. But the work is still there, right? There are still generations that are coming up and looking for some type of involvement and that have questions and the preparation is needed. Does the current market environment have you reevaluating your investment strategy? There may be alternative opportunities you have yet to consider to safeguard your portfolio. We've created an exclusive guide for Capital Club listeners featuring the top alternative investments to consider when strategizing for inflation. Download it today at excelsiorgp.com slash download to learn how you can protect your portfolio, diversify your assets, and take advantage of tax benefits in today's market. That's excelsiorgp.com slash download. So Hannah, to what extent feel comfortable sharing? Have you all leveraged your, you know, you've got some really cool, interesting, fun operating companies or investments. Yep. Have you leveraged them to kind of increase learning opportunities and and engagement within the family? Yeah, certainly. I think for, you know, our original legacy business, we are in partnership with another family. So a lot of that is still through the operating company. However, we made a really conscious choice early on to build beyond the operating company. And so it's kind of really extended far and wide. And so I would say for the other businesses at this point, still a lot is all based within RDV Corporation, which is the family office. And yet particular skills and information and exposure, what that looks like is there's heavy collaboration with the companies as well. And so, yes, I can go more specifically if you'd like. And I think it, it is almost easier when you have a very obvious living, breathing entity to rally around. Sometimes I can imagine. So a follow-up question for you, Hannah, many next gens that we have on the program have some sort of struggle with their identification. 
parsing it out between this corpus of assets or this operating company and they themselves. Mm-hmm. Would you feel comfortable talking about kind of your own journey through that? Yeah, it's a journey. I think I am still navigating it. I think with each year, I am choosing to just own my reality and to say, this is my situation. For so long, I think in my 20s as well, I set out very intentionally to go do my own thing, to be Hannah for Hannah, to be hired by my own merit and not because someone knew someone that that then decided to hire me. So I lived in New York. I worked at a series of startups that was super interested in kind of early stage at that point and had a great career for about eight and a half to nine years. And then then there was this point and this a series of personal things happened. I'm the oldest of five children. I was just called to say I could move to San Francisco and start working for Google, or I could be spending my time, talent, and energy to be supporting my family. But I really needed that time away. And for me, I would just encourage anyone who who is inspired by something or wants to experiment with something, rather than sitting idly, wasting time and waiting for someone to deem you worthy to, you know, be be a role, take initiative. And so I've really been grateful kind of for for that experience in my 20s. And but still now, if you're at a cocktail party and someone asks, what do you do? Sometimes it would be so much easier to say, I work at this one company, I do this one thing, and I focus on this one thing. And sometimes I just lie because it's like too much to say. And yet that right there is where I have found such power in shared connections and conversations with other rising gen because it is complicated because it isn't necessarily this like one full-time gig that you will have for a while. And that's the beauty of it because your seasons change, who you are change, where your capacities change. And yet grappling with it and trying to be like, I am both this individual person, Hannah, and yet I'm inextricably tied to two things far beyond me and in, in this greater group. And so any choice I make, there is a reflection on this greater. So it's this both and it's this individual and collective. And I think grappling with it, naming it is like the only thing I can say that I'm working on. And for some people, it's better just to name it and to say, I need to take a step away. I'm not, this isn't really serving me. I don't feel seen or heard. And my hope is that families can support that and to encourage that. But that's easier said than done, all of it. Yeah, I, I can say I've lived in Nashville for 15 years. I've built a successful real estate company and I will still always be Dr. Morris's son-in-law. And like, it just yep. is what it is in certain worlds that I enter totally. into. And you've I've just yeah. pushed past I've just gotten comfortable with it, right? It is what it is. Yeah. But I, I saw Mindy nodding her head affirmatively at a lot of things that Hannah was saying. I would love to hear you if you could call out anything specific or or what you're hearing and seeing within the broader community of families you work with for that question. Yeah. I often emphatically nod at what Hannah says because it's filled with brilliance and honesty and vulnerability. I think she she hit it spot on. It when I go back to I came to Fox four years ago to create a rising gen leadership program because of my work in two single family offices working in human capital development, kind of as chief learning officer. And what I know to be true when we were creating this program is that I wanted to have a personal focus before anything else. And financial literacy would not even be part of it. There are many other, you know, institutions and organizations that will do that quite well. So our program intentionally begins with personal development, personal leadership, and it's a multidisciplinary approach, but each session, each program we run begins with a you piece, personal, and then interpersonal, you and your family. And we kind of add these concentric circles on 
because I've been in, you know, rising gen meetings with families that I've worked with where you can see someone who has so much to contribute, but is not confident or they're in the investment committee meeting and no one's even prepared them for it. And they're shutting down and they're like on the verge of tears, right? Because they feel unprepared out of their element that it's so important to have that as Hannah talked about her journey of individuation of understanding what your unique contributions could be to the family. That is a really big deal, that individuation piece. And then being true to your journey and where you're going, right? That I, I worked with a rising Jen who I'm in a coaching meeting with her. And she said, how big of a life do I have to lead? It was, it was really sad to some degree because that was an honest question from her. And as if she was seeking my validation or answer that she came from a family that led a pretty big life in all the ways that you would describe it based on trappings of wealth. And she didn't want that. So the ability to feel that you have this autonomy, that you're, there's belonging as well. You belong to a family system and an organization, but that autonomy matters just as much. And as a continuation of that statement in this broader conversation, are you seeing, now that this transition is occurring, are you seeing family members within the next gen opting out, either exercising a put call or a buy sell or just saying, hey... I understand enough to make an informed decision. This is not for me. Are you seeing that occur? Yeah, there's actually, so if anyone's familiar with Dennis Jaffe, he's kind of a prominent voice in this space. And he wrote a book, Borrowed from Your Grandchildren. And it's based on interviews from 100-year family enterprises. So families that have made it in, made it beyond a certain number of generations. And within the, by G5, 100% of families that have made it to G5 stage have constitutions, they have family councils, they have family learning, and they have exit policies. Because it's really important for people to have that ability to say no, otherwise your yes isn't a true yes if you can't say no, right? So yeah, I see it as a good governance practice. I see more of that over the years as families evolve and grow and whatever they do, if someone is not interested and Honestly, I've seen some of this kind of, we'll say you were talking about the different generations, but I've seen some transition happen with more Fox families over the years based on philanthropic giving and preferences or families that were politically focused or given to particular organizations. And the next generation is saying that really doesn't represent us. And so we, you know, we would like to either have a conversation about how we you know, approach giving as a family, or we don't want to be part of this and we'll have our different foundation, our different giving arm. So um, on many ways I see it, but I think it's just that healthy differentiation. And again, back to that individuation of the ability to be you and who you are and do what you want to do, but then feel comfortable with the larger system in the way that you're involved. And before I, I go to Hannah for another question, could you give us the elevator pitch on what a chief learning officer is? This is a role that is now featured more prominently and you're hearing reference to, but I'm not sure people maybe fully understand what the mandate is or the scope of work. Yes, I cannot give an elevator pitch on that because every family is so different, right? So I'll generalize, I guess, for any family that does, like single family office that has an identified chief learning officer, usually it's focusing on that human capital, right? It's either facilitating meetings, conversations, it's bringing in experts, it's kind of guiding the overall learning efforts of the family. Sometimes they are creating, I don't want to say curriculum that's too rigid, but family learning programs and structures that give the family 
a clear kind of path forward on if you want to work in the operated company, these are the things you need to do. If you want us to run this committee, these are the things that you need to do. I just created a program for a family in California where we kind of have a core program, which is the basic expectations to be part of the family system and to earn a seat at the table. And then like elective programs that are, if you're really high potential, interested in other things. Some families, a lot of families, that's why I say I'm an outsourced chief learning officer because many families don't have that dedicated function. We are seeing it more and more into MFOs, into multifamily offices, certainly single family offices and advisory firms that back to Hannah's point of focusing on the individual, that really matters. I don't care how financially literate you are, if you don't know who you are, if you haven't gone through assessments, if you don't have an outside coach to be able to contribute, right? It just doesn't match up. So really exciting to see. This is really a term that Jay Hughes has kind of brought to our industry a little bit more, you know, focusing on the five capitals and it's encouraging. It's encouraging to see more families have a dedicated person in that function. Well, that's a good segue to, you know, Mindy, if, if anybody listening is interested in, in engaging with you and the work that Fox is doing, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Familyoffice.com, of course, number of ways to, to reach me, LinkedIn, I'm early at familyoffice.com. My name has an extra E in it. So it's M-E-A-R-L-E-Y at familyoffice.com. But I, yeah, I think Hannah closed it well that Fox is one resource that there are many others I think what's most important is finding that trusted advisor, that group that will give you honest feedback and help you level up, take it to the next level, whatever that may be. It's from an individual coaching perspective, from a multi-generational family conversation that there are a lot of risks of people saying yes to ideas, but if someone's not giving you honest feedback, right, or, or speaking to you a little bit more candidly as a family, it's not really helpful. I know in when I was in single family office, I relied on consultants and advisors who were kind of outside of the internal group who could say things differently and bring different perspectives. And, you know, my career evolution from single family office and working closely with families to kind of scaling to, you know, member and non-member families and working with them has been, I can bring all of these stories and best practices and examples of what other families are doing. And we like to say at Fox that we help families see around the corner, right? If you're at G2, what what could be coming at G3, G4 stage? And if you're at G4, what's next based on what we know from leading families that are part of our membership? And that peer network is here. So taking me out of the equation, but just getting families, like Hannah said, into a room to have honest discussions or ask questions in the way that you wouldn't in other normal situations, right? So that's really important to find that that peer community and have a network of people to bounce ideas off from. Yeah, I would echo all of that. It's been my experience as well. Well, I want to thank both of you so much for your time and being open and honest with your experiences. It's been tremendous, a great conversation. I definitely encourage people listening, check out Fox. They're a great resource and a terrific organization. And Mindy's doing really good work there. A question that we ask people that come on the show, and we'll start with Mindy and then we'll go to Hannah. Do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your life? I could use more. <laughs> one, one that I really enjoy every day when I take my daughter to school, we have a gratitude exercise. So that's one of my favorites because it, it's to learn from her and to also kind of share and pour into her and pump her up for the day, but it's just, it serves me really well. So that's one of my favorites and just a lot of self-care, a lot of, I really enjoy fitness as a way to kind of like release my stress and sweat it all out. So highly important to me as well, but really gratitude is kind of my biggest, the biggest way that I feel it serves me to 
start my day well. Awesome. Thank you both for sharing that. And thank you again for the time. I look forward to staying in touch and the hand of good luck with everything you're up to. Mindy, you have your hands full as well. So best of luck moving forward. And thank you again for sharing. Thanks, Brian. Really good to talk to you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.